0: that works, Proverbs chapter 5, now in part 7 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Now before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, and that was chapter, all of chapter 4, and I gave you three points, and you might remember those points, and the first one was the word, say the word, and that's in verses 1 through 9, by the way, if you don't have an outline, raise your hands nice and high, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Point number one was the word, say the word. That's in verses 1 through 9, and Solomon there tells his sons, don't forget, don't forsake this teaching, this instruction of the Scripture that I'm giving you, and don't let it go in one ear and out the other. And Solomon then goes on to say, it was that way with his father. Who was his father? David. Say David. So it was that way with his father David when he was a young boy, and David, his father, wanted to make sure that as he taught his son God's word, that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears or a hard heart. He wanted to, to cultivate, cultivate a receptive heart in his son. He tells him, get wisdom. Say that, say that. Get wisdom. Wisdom is, in other words, wisdom is the principal thing. Uh, it's the chief gain. And don't forsake it because it will guard you. It will protect you. It will watch over you. It will bring you advancement and, and, and bring you respect. It will set, he says, a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. In other words, what he's saying is wisdom will bless you. Did you get that? Wisdom will bless you. The second point of last week's text was the walk. Say the walk. We saw the word, now the walk, verses 10 through 19. It's there, right there. And Solomon tells his son, tells us, receive and follow God's word, and we will have a steady, stable life. Yeah? We will know where we're going. Okay. Where we're going, we're not going to stagger hopelessly. We're, we're going to have direction. And why are we going to have direction? Because we have read and followed, not just read, but followed God's word. What it does, it keeps us from walking on the path of wicked, of the wicked. And it keeps us from limping. It keeps us from stumbling and straying away from God. And I love what Solomon says. He says, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the fall to the full, excuse me, full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Notice the path of the righteous, what he's saying, is tied to light and life. It's instructive, it's luminous, it's safe, and it's pleasant. And the path of the wicked is tied to darkness and insecurity. It's a gloomy, dark, dangerous path. The word, the walk, the third point was the way. Say that. The way, and that's in verses 20 through 27. And we're talking about the way of uprightness, the way of uprightness. And Solomon tells us, remember this? Four things uh, to pay attention to. And first he says the heart. Pay attention to the heart. Say the heart. Why? Because it all starts in the heart. He says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard it, because what goes on in your heart is what goes on in your life. Every Thing you do flows from it. It affects everything you do. It affects all of your life. And he says, the mouth. Pay attention to the mouth. Watch what comes out of your mouth. And then he says, the eyes, that your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. And then the feet, the feet. Think about your path and make sure that you're, you're staying on course. And he says, be, be careful where you go. Don't get sidetracked. You need to watch where you're going. You need to avoid all crooked paths, all crooked ways. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is Warning Against Adultery. Everyone say that. We could also say warning against sexual immorality. Now, we briefly looked at this. You might remember this in chapter 2, and it's repeated in chapter 6 and 7. And you see, if if God repeats something over and over and over again, it's because we need to hear it. That's why he repeats it, so you and I can hear it. And I want to say this, God never wastes his words. God God never wastes his words. He wants us to listen up. He wants you and I to get it. He wants you and I to take heed to what he says to you and I. Can I get an amen. Three points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, the deception. Write that down. Say that. The deception. And this strong warning against adultery or sexual immorality begins with an address and a call for attentiveness. Attentiveness. And Solomon needs his son's attention before he gives the teaching. So verses 1 and 2, if you're with me, say amen. Here we go. My son... Pay attention, say attention, to my wisdom, listen well, to my words of insight. Now, we know that this has been a reoccurring theme throughout this book, right? It's a reoccurring theme. Pay attention, listen well. And Solomon's like, son, I'm about to say something. I'm about to say something. I'm about to give you some wisdom, so pay close attention. Listen up. And you see it carries a note of urgency. Verse 2, that you may maintain discretion. In other words, discernment, good judgment. In other words, think, speak, and act discreetly. That you may maintain discretion. This is what he says. And your lips may preserve knowledge or keep knowledge. In other words, you will have something to say. You will speak of things worthy, I love this, worthy to be known and communicate the knowledge of them to others. You'll be able to give others wisdom and knowledge. Now, I want you to get this. Some people speak just to say something. Other people speak because they have something to say, right? If you're safe, say amen. And the book of Proverbs, this book that we're in now, gives us something to say. It's not chatter or idle talk. It has substance. And so this book has something to say, Right? And because this book has something to say, we have something to say. We have wisdom and knowledge to share with others. Can someone say amen? So this call for attentiveness is followed by motivating reasons for doing so. Notice the adulteress begins with deceptive words of charm. Verses three and four. For the lips, the lips of the adulteress that can also be rendered as An immoral woman or strange woman. The King James, I believe, says strange woman. And the intention is to drag someone down. And we could also apply this to an immoral man. Are you guys with me? So for the lips of the adulteress drip what? Honey. And her speech is smoother than oil, verse 4. But in the end, say in the end. I want you to circle that. We're going to get to that soon. But in the end, she is bitter as gall. Your Bibles might render it as wormwood, which is a plant with a bitter taste. Sharp as a double-edged sword. So let's walk through this. You guys don't mind this, right? You guys want to walk through this? Let's walk through this. Let's go back to the text. For the lips of the adulteress drip what? Honey. And I want you to notice that there's an initial sweetness about her. And by the way, let me say this. There is... An initial sweetness about sin. Sin does taste good for a while, though. So as there's initial sweetness about her, there's initial sweetness about sin, and this is why it's very easy to get deceived by it. So this is how she entices the man and drags him down. Her lips drip honey. Follow me here. Sexual immorality. Sin entices you. That's what it does. It dangles its bait in front of you. And you don't, And as it, as it dangles its bait in front of you, you don't see the trap. You don't see the hook. You just see the bait. And you're enticed by it, and you bite into it, and guess what? It hooks you, and it traps you, and you've been deceived. There's an old saying, honey is sweet, but the bee stings. Did you get that? Look at the text. And her speech is smoother than what? Oil. And this could be referring, I believe, to flattery. The woman knows how to use flattery successfully. And remember what I said this this a while back, it was in chapter two, Uh, flattery is not sincere communication, it's manipulation. It's someone telling you what, You want to hear in order for them to get what they want. And by the way, some men are really good at that. Some men are really good at flattery. It's deception. Say deception. And this is why Solomon's telling his son, this is why Solomon's telling all who read this, to pay attention to his wisdom, listen well to his words of insight. Why? Because this immoral woman is going to tempt you and try to drag you down, and she does it by using flattery. Words coated with honey and smoother than oil. I want you to write this down. Chapter 6, verse 24 of Proverbs six twenty-four, Keeping you from the immoral woman, Listen what Solomon says, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Chapter 7, verse 21. Chapter 7, verse 21 of Proverbs, Solomon says, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Stay, stay with me here, okay? She, she not only uses flattery, but she, she's flirtatious as well. Not just flattery, but she's flirtatious as well. She she'll she flirt with you and get your attention. And then, guess what? She's got you. She's got you. Chapter 6, verse 25. Write it down. 6, verse 25 of Proverbs says this. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. And this is what it says. Or let her captivate you with her eyes. You got that? She's batting her eyes at you, you know? And now, now women are wearing, I mean, I'm sure they've done it years ago, but now it's like a, a thing, fake eyelashes now, right? And they're like, you know. And then, you know, then I can all try it sexy, and all of a sudden one of, gets, one of them gets stuck, you know? It's like, you know? But she's trying to flirt with you. And this is what Solomon's talking about. She not only uses flattery, but she's flirtatious. She bats her eyes at you. Look at the text. But in the end, say in the end, she is bitter as gall, wormwood, sharp as a double-edged sword. In other words, this no matter how you move, okay. In other words, no matter where you move, how you move, you're going to get cut. In Hebrew, it means a sword with two mouths. She will take you down, and she'll rip you apart. The oil smooth, deceptive speech turns to a sharp sword that is cutting and destructive. And you see, sin, friends, and immorality always seems so sweet at first, doesn't it? It seems so good, so sweet at first, but later, it's bitter. It'll cut you up. I want to point something out. Look again at the text. But in the end... She is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Say that. sharp as a double-edged sword. Does that phrase sound familiar to you? Hmm? Hebrews 4:12. Hebrews 4:12, "For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any what? Double-edged sword." Question. In Matthew chapter four, what did Jesus? Matthew chapter 4, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil? What did he do, friends? He quoted the word, right? He overcame temptation by quoting the word that is sharper than any double-edged sword. So how do we deal with this issue of sexual temptation? How? When you and I are tempted in this way, friends, how do we deal with it? Well, you go to the word and you quote the word, right? Make sure the word's hidden in your heart. Thank you, amen, amen. Because his word, God's word, is sharper than any double-edged sword, sharper than this double-edged sword referred to here in the text. So anytime you're in that getting tempted to do something immoral, sexual immorality, hmm? Gotta go to the word. Amen? Look at the phrase, but in the end. Say that. In this book if you haven't noticed by now, we are constantly and repeatedly told to look ahead, right? To ponder the path of our feet realistically and rationally and ask ourselves, where is this gonna go? As we look ahead, where's this gonna go? Where is it heading? So follow me here. Wisdom always asks, what is, what, what's the destination here if I head in this direction, So wisdom does. What's the destination here if I head in this direction? If I go this way, where am I going to end up if I go that way? You're safe, say amen. When you and I carefully ponder where we are where we are headed, it helps to establish wise direction. It helps us to not turn to the right nor to the left. You see, sin never considers the consequences, but wisdom does. Wisdom looks ahead, and wisdom says, if I go that way, if I do that, if I fall into this temptation, that's gonna happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to me, but in the end. So that's the deception. Number two is the destruction. Say that, and I wanna say this, to walk in the ways of adultery, of sexual immorality, is to begin on the path of destruction, friends. It's a serious business, serious business. Verses 5 and 6, her feet go down to death. (laughs) Her steps lead straight to the grave. I mean, if that doesn't sober us up, I don't know what will. Verse 6, she gives no thought. Listen what it says. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. You see, the thing about this adulterous woman, about sin in general, friends, is that it doesn't care about tomorrow. It doesn't care about tomorrow. It doesn't care about the way of life. And what it does, it staggers on a crooked path. And the ways of adultery are unstable and unknowable. And it only cares about tonight. One night of pleasure. One night of pleasure. And Solomon's point is this, that sexual immorality, sin, temptation only thinks about what? Right now. I want to feel good right now. I want this right now. doesn't think about the future. Verses seven and eight. Now then, my sons, verses seven and eight, listen to me, Do not turn aside from what I say. Verse eight, keep to a path far, what? From her. Do not go near the door of her house. I'm gonna read that again And I mean, I've underlined that, I've highlighted that. Now then my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. What I'm saying is what I'm saying to you has value. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. The best defense is distance. Got that? The best defense is distance. Stay away from her. That's it, right? Stay away from sexual immorality. Don't go near the door. Don't return the phone call. Don't return the text or the email, okay? Don't go on Facebook. And by the way, did you know that most affairs begin on Facebook? There's this emotional affair that begins on Facebook. You, You connect with an old friend from high school and, oh, how you doing? Oh, you look pretty good. You look good too. Huh? Don't go on that trip, man. Don't allow yourself to be put in a situation where, you know, where saying no will be more difficult than it is now. Solomon says, stay away. You see it? Stay away. Stay away. Say that, stay away. And, and, and if you don't, Solomon says, if you don't, then notice what happens, verses 9 through 11. Lest you give your best strength. In other words, honor. Lest you give your honor, your dignity, The best of your life, the best that you have, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. In other words, this means to waste your precious life among the hard-hearted. You see, friends, I want to say this, and what Solomon is saying is this, sin always takes, sin always wastes. Sin never adds blessings to your life. Never adds blessings to your life. Can I I get an amen about that? It always costs. And by the way, sin is the most expensive thing in the world. Why? Because it costs the shed blood of Jesus to atone for it. Verse 10, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's House. read that again. Lest strangers feast on your wealth, and your toil enrich another man's house. And what Solomon is simply saying here, if I could paraphrase this in a sense, is everything you work for, the best that you have, all of your wealth is taken away. Strangers will take over what used to be yours and what would have been yours. Friends, this is what happens when you go down the path of sexual sin. This is what happens when you go down the path of sin, period. And I want to tell you, friends, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. I know people, Christians and non-Christians. I've known of ministers and pastors, evangelists who committed adultery, who fell into sexual immorality, who lost everything, everything. They lost their dignity, they lost their reputation, they lost their spouse, their kids, their home, their ministry, their job, their joy. Sin costs. Are you guys with me? Verse 11, at the end of your life, you will groan. In other words, mourn. In other words, you will lose your honor. You will lose your wealth. You will lose your joy. And notice, you will lose your health. Read on. When your flesh and body are spent, it can also be rendered consumed. And this is speaking about someone in excruciating pain. Physical ailments. This could be referring, I believe, I could be totally wrong, to STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. In fact, one in five people in the United States, one in five, have a sexually transmitted disease. So we want verses 12 through 14, if you're still with me, say amen. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction, I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. Did you get that? Verse 14, I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. In other words, you know what he's saying here? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I pay attention? And I should have listened to my instructors. I should have listened to my teachers. What a fool I've been. And I no longer have respect from the community that I belong to. I'm on the edge of public ruin. What a complete disaster. What embarrassment in my life. That's what he's saying. And you see, friends, there's deep regret for being promiscuous and for falling into the trap of sexual immorality. You ready for the lesson? Here he goes. Look at the end of the story. Look at the end of the story. And Solomon's point is, look at the end of the story before you make these choices. Before you want to fall into that trap of sexual immorality, look at the end of the story. And I want to tell you, that's a powerful way to defend against sexual immorality. Make sure we look at the end of the story, not just the beginning, because it always looks good at the beginning, doesn't it? But it has a tragic end. And I want to tell you, in my almost 30 years of being your pastor, wow, September will be 30 years. Many individuals have walked into my office embarrassed, in tears, in anguish, filled with regret because of sexual immorality. And I sat with them and I counseled with them. I, I, I loved on them and prayed with them. And you know, I've never heard any one of them say you know, Pastor, I wish I would have fornicated more. Or I wish I would have committed adultery more than I did. No. Instead, it was, you know what it was? Pastor, why did I do that? What was I thinking? And you know what, Pastor, I cannot believe how stupid I was to do that. And you know what the good news is, though? The good news is this. God... Can forgive the fornicator, God can forgive the adulterer and adulteress. Someone say amen. But I want to say this. You still have to deal with the consequences. Are you guys with me? In warning words, we said it well. God in his grace will forgive their sins if they repent. Speaking of sexual immorality. But God in his government sees to it that they reap what they sow. You guys get that? Deception, the destruction. Number three is the design. Say that. And I love this because here, what Solomon does Solomon's lesson shifts to the wisdom of sexual intimacy. From sexual immorality now to sexual intimacy, sexual satisfaction with one's own wife. And I want to tell you, this is God's design for marital intimacy. Someone say amen. Look at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. You know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of faithfulness in marriage. Got it? And Solomon is simply telling his sons, all of us who are reading, stick with your wife, husbands, stick with her. Stay with her. Only her. There's a saying, the grass looks greener on the other side. You've heard that saying? Well, the grass looks greener on the other side. But the truth is, the grass is greenest where it's watered, right? So don't, listen, husbands, don't go be looking at someone else's grass. Take care and water your own lawn. Can I get amen? Here's a lesson. Here's a lesson. Stick with the spouse God has given you. Stick with her. And ladies, stick with him. Stick with and enjoy your spouse. You see, this marriage relationship is exclusive. Not inclusive. It's exclusive. This is God's design. One man, right? One man, say one man. And one woman, say one woman, for one lifetime. Monogamy. Drink water from your own cistern. Your own cistern running water from your own well. And you see in the Old Testament, it was a crime, a crime to steal water from someone else's well. And just as it was a crime, just as it was a crime to have sex with another man's wife. Follow me here, okay? Stay with me here. Drinking from your own cistern, the water from your own well is like drinking from a pure Wonderful, flowing, satisfying fountain. Well, sexual immorality is like drinking from the sewer. You guys with me? Let's move on. Verses 16 through 18. Did your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? I want to stop there. Your springs. So what's so, what, what Solomon saying here? Well, he's saying drink only from your own cistern, drink only from your own well, lest you have offsprings, illegitimate children running around in the streets. <laughs> Got it? Verse 17, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. In other words, don't find yourselves getting involved sexually in such a way that you're having kids outside of your own marriage. In other words, adultery. Because those kids will be raised by a stranger. Verse 18. May your fountain, say fountain. That's speaking of your children. Say children. May your fountain, speaking of your children, be blessed. And by the way, friends, how do you bless your children? How do you bless your kids? This is how we do it. Husbands, how do I bless my kids? Husbands, you do this by loving their mother. Wives, you do this by loving their father. You do this by loving each other. You want to bless your children? Let them see you loving each other. Amen? Let's read on. And may you rejoice. Say rejoice. And I want to say this. Circle that word rejoice because in the Hebrew, it means be satisfied. Be satisfied. In other words, may you be satisfied. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. You get that? In other words, when he says the wife of your youth, in other words, she's that girl you married back when you both were young. In the passing years, have no power to change that reality. She's still that girl who gave herself to you on your wedding day. She's still that girl who put herself in your arms. You guys with me? So don't forget that. Psalm is saying, don't forget that. Dwell on that. Rejoice in that. Be satisfied in that. And don't go looking for satisfaction in other women. Are you guys with me? Verse 19. This is, and this is every husband's favorite verse. Okay? (laughs) Okay? A loving doe, a graceful deer, here we go. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. That word captivated is intoxicated. Enraptured, okay, by her love. Now, this whole verse 19 is similar to that of the Song of Solomon. Remember that Song of Solomon? Solomon. Uh, Song of Songs, and you might remember that series we did. It was in 2015. It was right before we even moved to this building here. It was called A Simple Love Song. And by the way, it was one of our best-selling series. And so what he's saying is that your physical relationship with your wife ought to sweep you away. You ought to be intoxicated, enraptured, captivated, By her love. Crazy about her. That's what he's saying. And I want to tell you, friends, when it comes to physical intimacy, refuse to let it die. Refuse to let it become some routine. Refuse to let it be a source of of manipulation or discord in your marriage. Choose to be lovers. Choose to be lovers. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. God approves sexual enjoyment in marriage. If you're married, you ought to say amen. Say, oh, come on, really? Say amen. And this is what I love about God's word. This is what I love about the Bible, friends. It doesn't shy away from the concepts of sexuality and pleasure. Rather, what it does, it establishes them in the context of monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. That joy and happiness is encouraged here in this this text and also in other passages. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, God created sex not only for reproduction but also for enjoyment. And he didn't put the marriage wall around sex to rob us of pleasure but to increase pleasure and to protect it. Love that. I love that. Now, I want to say this. There ought to be an abundance of intimacy in marriage. Abundance. But I want to say this. I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. That's good and all, but I'm just talking about that. But also, emotional intimacy. You guys with me? Emotional intimacy, listen now, is sharing things with my spouse Emotionally, okay, sharing things with your spouse emotionally that you share with no one else. That you have these conversations with each other. There's intimacy. You're sharing emotional things with your spouse that you don't share with no one else. So there ought to be emotional intimacy, but there also ought to be spiritual intimacy. That's why you you want to make sure you're married to a believer, can, I say, can someone say amen? Spiritual intimacy is praying with your spouse in a way that you pray with no one else. I love it when Lou and I pray together. We just, we just sit, we join hands, and we try to do it just about every night before we go to bed, and, and, and I hold her hand, and we sit, and we just pray. We cry. Sometimes we're just silent but that spiritual intimacy. Praying with your spouse in a way that you pray with no one else. Married couples, we need to maintain and retain that intimacy. So let me ask you, are you guys spending time in emotional intimacy where you just sit together and you just talk to each other, share your most deepest thoughts to each other? And let me ask you this, are you praying together? Praying together. And by the way, husbands, you ought to initiate that. You ought to grab her hand and say, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna pray. Amen? Look at the remaining verses. Because in the remaining verses, Solomon, what he does, he returns to the warning which he began with. Verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? In other words, don't do that. No need to look elsewhere. Why? Because sexual pleasure is most complete in a marriage covenant. You don't need to look anywhere else. You can find satisfaction in your marriage relationship, in your marriage covenant. Someone say amen. Now, I want to say this. There's no escaping God's accountability, friends. If you're safe, say amen. There's no escaping God's accountability. We cannot fly under the radar of God's accountability. We can't. Look at verse 21 to prove my point. For a man's ways, say ways. So, contextually, in, in context, contextually, this is talking about this whole sexual immoral thing, right? Okay. For a man's ways, speaking of this sexual immoral thing, are in full, what, view of who? Come on, say it, of who? The Lord, and he, what, examines all his paths. Woo. Listen, if you're tempted to engage in sexual immorality, realize, oh, that your ways are in full view of God. Full view of God. Ready for the lesson? God is looking. God is looking. God is looking. Write this down, Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation, you guys know this, right? Is hidden from God's sight. Everything, say everything, is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Chapter 15 of Proverbs, verse 3, write that down. Chapter 15, verse 3 of Proverbs, Solomon writes, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. you Get that? So the next time you're tempted to do something you ought not to be doing with someone you ought not to be with, it's a good thing to remember nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Hmm? This also includes this sin, being on websites you shouldn't be on. Looking at pornographic things you shouldn't be looking at. Are you guys with me? I want to read verse 21 again. And I want to read from the King James, New King James, excuse me. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And this is the word that the New King James uh, Version uses. And he ponders, say so ponders, all his paths. Think about it. God ponders. God ponders. God's like, really? Really? Is that, is that what you're choosing to do? Really? And he's pondering that that's how you're choosing to live? Hmm. He's looking at us. He's pondering. Verse 22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. I mean, gosh, do we really have to elaborate on this? No, the evil deeds of a wicked man or woman ensnare him or her. The cords of his or her sin hold him or her what? Fast. Here's a lesson. It's impossible. Listen now. It's impossible to sin, impossible to sin and not be bound. Impossible to sin and not be bound. Impossible to sin and not be bound. Friends, we will never get away with sin. You guys with me? We will never get away with sin. Nobody can, nobody does, nobody will. And the more that you and I engage in sin, the stronger the core becomes. You know what sin does? Sin conceals, sin consumes, and then sin controls. Are you guys with me? It's a cord that binds you. Sin is a snare. It controls us. It enslaves us. And by the way, sin promises freedom, but only brings slavery. Well, here's the good news. You know what the good news is? There's no cord of sin that Jesus' blood cannot penetrate through and cut it off. Someone say amen. There is no cord of sin that Jesus' blood cannot penetrate through and cut off. It's a good place to say amen. And I want to tell you, friends, there's no habit of sinfulness that cannot, say cannot, come on, be broken by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. He can break the cords of sin. He can break the cords of shame. He can break the cords of guilt. Someone say amen. So if you're here today and you're a believer and because it's possible that believers are living together. They shouldn't. Perhaps you're not married and you're fornicating. Well, guess what? Repent. Make it right. God will not bless your relationship if you're living in sin. He will not. So knowing that He and break the cords of sin, shame, and guilt. Repent and turn from that and make it right. What do you got to do to make it right? Make it right. You guys with me? Verse 23, and we're almost wrapping this up. He will die for lack of discipline. Let us stray by his own great folly. So according to this verse, the undisciplined person Okay, the one who didn't discipline his or her passion, the one who turns away from good teaching is subject to death as a natural result. In other words, by pursuing sin, this person wanders away from God and may never return. Solomon says to his sons, Solomon says to us, hey, pay attention. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. That's discernment, good judgment. And your lips may preserve knowledge. Pay attention to what I say, he says, so that you will know how to respond. Sexual temptation. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for today. And one thing about your word is that it it cuts to the heart. I know it causes us to be uneasy at times, and but Lord. <laughs> You love us too much, to let us stay the way that we are. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, today, Lord, that you would just remind us of the importance of purity and holiness. There's so much temptation out there. And, Lord, I, I, I know that we're not perfect and we stumble and fall at times, Lord, but might we always be filled with your word that we would respond to those temptations with your truth. That your word would be hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Thank you, Lord, for being so real to us. You cared enough to warn us and tell us and share with us the importance of staying away from sexual immorality. But also, we thank you for telling us the truth of wonderful marriage intimacy. We love you. We praise you.